Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Hope you're doing well. Uh, a few weeks ago, we put out a video called From the Mouths of Our Bishops, where we played over some segments of bishops talking and kind of talked through uh, the good and the bad and the ugly around that, and we got a lot of good response around that. So we're going to do something similar here in this segment, but before we got into it, I, I wanted to just go over some basic updates and the denomination of the United Methodist Church. It's a, a very busy, kind of intense time, uh, but if you, you already feel like you're on top of that, you don't need my summary, then we're just going to put a marker in this video. Uh, it'll probably be five minutes uh, before then, so just skip ahead, and, and we've got some good topics, uh, some good clips on uh, how United Methodists are representing hell and the theological reality of that. So uh, before we get into that, um, on the screen you should see a Facebook post by a guy named Jimmy Boone. This guy has been doing a really good job staying on top of disaffiliations, updated on June 8th, which is yesterday. Um, we've now seen a total of 5,320 disaffiliations in the United States. Of course, central conferences cannot disaffiliate. They were informed uh, without judicial counsel even uh, uh, looking at it by the president of the Council of Bishops. He just said, by fiat, they cannot disaffiliate. So this is within the United States. After all kinds of hurdles being put in the way, uh, 5,320, he is projecting that by the end of the year we'll see over 6,000. Um, I'm hoping that there is a groundswell movement of churches that feel entrapped whose uh, annual conferences don't have special conferences scheduled later this year. I'm hoping they can get together and push their way out because otherwise we really are uh, seemingly looking at a situation where all of these church communities and their assets are entrapped within the United Methodist Church. But it really is an amazing thing. Uh, I'm scrolling down now, all the different um, numbers of disaffiliations, and then these are the upcoming conferences that still have yet to meet. And of course, a lot of these annual conferences are not releasing the numbers of how many churches are currently in the pipeline to disaffiliate. So the final number he thinks is, is going to be 6,000. I've heard that same number from some other conservative caucus groups. Um, someone, I don't know who, put together this graphic of UMC disaffiliations, and this is just within the United Method or in the United States, of course. I remember they were passing something around just a couple of months ago. It was like a, a pink and purple hued one, and I don't know where that one came from either, but it was like, oh, it's only like 3% of churches want to go. Well, now we're up to 13% already disapproved or disaffiliated. And then we have several more in progress. I, yeah, it's estimated 900. We have no idea of how, knowing how many actually. So anyway, this is a big piece of the pie. And then nobody has been able to do a comprehensive analysis yet, but there's a good question to ask. How many of these are the most vital, largest, most dynamic churches? You know, how much hope is there for the, the bunch that's left over? So I saw a post by Adam Hamilton this morning, uh, who it turns out we're going to be talking about in this podcast a little bit more. He was being very optimistic about uh, growth in his annual conference, even though I saw some stats showing that his church has been in serious decline for uh, at least five years. Um, in my own former annual conference here in Oklahoma, uh, we have some successful pastors that uh, turned their real estate into money-making ventures and so that is, uh, there's, there's all kinds of efforts going on from conference to conference as to shoring this thing up, but they're looking at a huge budgetary shortfall 
uh, from here on out. And it was already, you know, remembered the United Methodist Church has been in decline every single year since its inception in 1968. I also wanted to do a brief update on uh, Plain Spoken. We started this in earnest six months ago, and it's gotten a lot of really good response and a lot of good support from people. And I just want to thank you. Um, we're doing quite well. We just passed 1,600 subscribers. Uh, we're about uh, we're about to overtake. If I I've got a spreadsheet where I look at all the United Methodist or Methodist more broadly uh, YouTube channels, we are about to overtake uh, Pastor Adam Hamilton's Vespers at Resurrection. Of course, the Church of the Resurrection. Uh, on YouTube is uh, like 10,000 subscribers. We're not going to catch up to them anytime soon, uh, but we're seeing great engagement on all of our content. Uh, we're covering, to my knowledge, uh, some of the most exciting and dynamic stuff going on. Um, we're, we're, of course, wanting to advocate for a future where there's a robust, unified vision of what, what Methodism looks like, um, kind of reclaiming, not kind of, reclaiming our doctrinal heritage and I think the reason that we have uh, shot up in support over so many other channels is because that is a project a lot of people are interested in. We want to imagine that um, that we're not going to pull the plug on this thing because it's been corrupted by a few entities. Rather, we're going to keep it going and revitalize and revive it, and uh, God willing, we're going to see the Holy Spirit uh, help us sc spread scriptural holiness across the land once again. So anyway... Um, I, uh, I'm very proud of the work we're doing here. I hope you feel good about it, too. Always uh, give us support, but also give us feedback as to what you think we could be doing better. All right, so let's get into today's assignment. I have not looked at any of these clips. Um, TJ has selected them. He has a regular practice in his life of just finding stuff that is interesting, and he'll separate these clips, and he gave me four clips for today. Uh, TJ, is there anything that needs to be said before we get into this segment? So the uh, um, last video we did was on um, bishops specifically. This one is just clergy. One of them is a superintendent, I believe, now, or uh, was a superintendent up until 2021. Um, but it's just regular clergy. Adam Hamilton's one of them, obviously. You just said that. Um, who's the, He's got the biggest United yeah, Methodist Church in the United States right now. Um but other than that, no, let's uh, uh, get into the first clip. The first clip is uh, the Compass podcast, which is uh, been promoted by the United Methodist Church. It's not just some random little podcast. If you go to their website, um, it's uh, specifically plugged on there. Um, so it's, I'm not sure who does it. It's, it's very well produced. Um, it's just the content of, of it's questionable. So that's going to be the first clip um, that we look at is the audio clip. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is supported by your apportionment dollars. So let's see if this is an adequate representation of the theology of the people in the pews or of John Wesley. So let me talk to you now about reason. And here we'll get into our cultural conditioning. I have a hedgehog principle when it comes to theology. My hedgehog principle is found in 1 John Chapter four, verses seven and eight. It says that God is love. My experience in God is based in love. I experience the divine because I experience love. I cannot reasonably equate a hell of eternal conscious torment with love. It does not make sense. Under no circumstances would I want to watch someone suffer for eternity. 
In my human condition, I'll admit that my sense of justice would be okay with some of the world's baddies experiencing some torment, but for eternity, I don't think I could go there. And if we view God as a parent, wow, that would change our perspective even more, wouldn't it? Because there's no way that I, as an imperfect parent, would wish that on my child, no matter what their degrees of rejection are. And here I have to admit something. I'm starting with a bias. This hedgehog principle is my bias. And as I look back through tradition and scripture, I can definitely find evidence to support my viewpoint. But I suspect that if I had an alternative bias, say one that was for some reason okay with eternal conscious torment, I would be able to look back through tradition and scripture and find support for that as well. It would seem that most Christians today don't necessarily believe in the fiery pit of torment image either, but they do hold to an ideal of eternal separation from God. In that way, hell is the kind of place which is locked from the inside. Those who are cast there, well, they go so willingly, it seems, since they prefer to live in a way without God. However, it's unclear whether such a place would hold the damned forever or if it held opportunities for individual or universal repentance and uh, people could get out. All right, so why don't you start us off on just talking through why this uh, might be problematic? Yeah, that's the, that's the end of a, of a larger podcast, which he kind of convolutes um, the belief in hell over the, the last 2,000 years or so. Um, so he spent the entire time saying, well, these, these people believe this about hell, and these people believe this, and we don't really know what we should believe now, but since I, I believe in a loving God, and because he's a loving God, he would never create a, a place like hell. Um, and then he almost goes into a, 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 an idea of like a purgatory um, towards the end of it, and I'm, it's... Is there, on this podcast, is there anything at the start of it that says the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the United Method? It doesn't say anything I like don't, that? Um, I don't believe so. Um, so one of my concerns... Give a spiel and I'll uh, look it up real quick. As, as, we're, as we're looking at this, and I'm wondering how many conservatives, as they listen to this, also identify with this way of thinking, which is... God is love. He's not really going to punish his children whom he loves. That just makes that doesn't fit with the category of love. That doesn't fit with the category of a loving father. Um, and so that that gives people license to then look back at the scriptures and say, oh, even though it's very clearly spoken about in scripture, it actually doesn't mean that. God is in some sense lying to us. Um, yeah, I, what's more problematic, a God whose love is different from our love or a God who lies? And I, I think a God who lies is much more problematic, or a scriptural text that, that lies. Um, either way, you're going to have to put your own feelings and, and reason over the clear meaning of the text. And, and lest we forget, Jesus himself speaks a good deal about um, hell. He calls it Gehenna. He's not talking about some trash heap that's burning outside of the city. He calls it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He calls it a place where the worm never dies and the, the fire is never quenched. Um, when you're, you're rejecting a doctrine that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ confessed many more times than once, uh, the basic premise here is uh, that there are consequences to how we live. 
So either there are no consequences to how we live, in which case, sure, there is no hell. Uh, everybody gets to go into heaven. It, it, it's great. So do whatever you want. I think that's what's at the root of this a lot. Of, the, the theological term for that is antinomianism. But if there are consequences, then to what degree are there consequences? And that's when you find a lot of variation. Roman Catholics have a notion of purgatory for people that weren't good enough, so they have to go through some pain, and then they're pronounced worthy at some point. Um, you, you have uh, a lot of Christians that I would call a brother that would say uh, they believe in annihilationism, where the, the, the resurrection is not a permanent affair, but they get to be permanently put out of their misery, and there's not active conscious suffering. Um, I feel like there's one other option um, that might that might be the only options where you believe in a hell, but it's not really. Oh, there there's some where, yeah, he he talks about it. It's a place that's locked from the inside. Um, that God is not putting them there, but they've chosen this. Uh, you really don't get that sense when you're just left with the scriptures. Rather, you're left with the sense that that God, yes, is love, but He's also a righteous judge. And whenever you live a life outside of faithful covenant obedience to Him then he judges you, and in the judgment you are deemed not uh, welcome in his kingdom. So um, I, I've been talking long enough, but we need to come back to why it is so important to believe in this doctrine of hell. Did you find anything, TJ, when you were looking for if they uh, couch what's ex uh, expressed in this? Yeah, so on the um, United Methodist Church website, which I, is, it looks like that's their main um, web page. Um, it does not mention anything about, hey, these are not specific United Methodist beliefs. It just says, uh, we're connecting faith and life. The Compass podcast helps us all see the ways in which God's divine movement disrupts our everyday lives. This bi-monthly podcast asks some tough questions about faith. Our episodes walk through meaningful spiritual practices and meditates meditations um, and explores conversations with special guests about how they are encountering spirituality in surprising ways, like in facing up to their own, in, in facing up to their own self doubt, asking questions, or in yeah. hanging out with their kids. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think I think what they're making clear is, I mean, even though they, they don't say it, these are not the official views of the denomination. This is more of like a tool for reflection. However, this is I'm pretty sure well apportionment dollars being spent. Right. So whenever we get to this last video, it's actually produced by the United Methodist Church, okay. um, and it's on their official website. So it's pretty similar in uh, kind of the same vein of thinking about yeah. hell. So yeah, let's get to the second one then. Okay. Um, the second one, this is an older one. This one I didn't realize was 11 years old. Um, he was, uh, this is uh, Reverend John Farley. He was the pastor at Foothill United Methodist Church in uh, California. Um, he's not the pastor there anymore. He was, uh, I guess, promoted to a district superintendent. And then the last thing I could find about him was from 2021. Um, it basically said that he's uh, 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 working alongside the bishop in um, his particular area for leadership, something. So this is lines. someone who's who's thrived uh, because of or in spite of whatever he conveys here about Satan and hell? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes children, and adults too, wonder about heaven and hell, wonder about whether there's really a devil. In the United Methodist Church, we don't teach a doctrine of a three-tiered universe that has a floating heaven 
an earth, and a burning hell below. There are references in the Bible to Satan, usually the one who deceives people and leads them away from God. We feel that happens today, but we don't believe in some supernatural demonic force or being. We believe in a God of grace. We believe in a God of life and hope. Did he say he didn't, we don't believe in demonic forces? Did he just say that? Uh, yeah, he doesn't, that, what I got from it was he doesn't believe in Satan. Um, well, he said, okay, 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 we'll come back to it. One that wants to lead us to the right and true things. There are people who lead us away from what is right and true. People, and you could human. consider that demonic because it creates evil. Oh. It can create death and loss. And that's why we follow one who has conquered death, the Christ of our faith, who, by God's grace, leads us into life and faith and hope. And with that, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Oh, th <laughs> yeah. fear of the Lord is unnecessary. Fear of damnation, unnecessary. You can just yeah, that kick one gets back. a little more into hell. Besides, and other things besides hell, it obviously gets into the devil and, and his belief on the devil. And, and these two thousand years of Christian scholars are just fear mongers and idiots, pretty right. much. Right, man. And he was smug. Oh, uh, he, yeah, he was for sure. Ooh, oof. But the one I want to strangle though is this cameraman kept zooming in and out <laughs> while he was talking. What yeah, was, no, that, that was the is worst. so distracting. So yeah, so you could call that okay. You, you could call that, that demonic. No, I don't. No, I don't ever want to watch it again, <laughs> TJ. See, oh, I'm that, gonna hate doing. We should say that one for last, but again, he's uh, he's well, he's still in leadership. So, well, it comes back relevant. to the thing I was talking about: uh, consequences. Either there's consequences or they're not. You get done looking at this guy, and you're thinking. There are no consequences. Antinomianism. Yeah, God's God's grace takes care of everything. Yeah, we you worship, shouldn't have to worry about anything. We worship a gracious, loving God. You have nothing to worry about. Now, that there are some Christians on the evangelical side that um, very much desire the same feeling of not worrying about anything. Uh, John Wesley was known for valuing this experience of assurance that he had and preaching that assurance was absolutely necessary. Uh, whether or not he held fast on that till the end is is uh, a question we don't need to get into. But uh, there is hypothetically a place Christians can get to where they are not trembling in their boots that they're going to go to hell anymore because they are assured in their faith and they're standing firm in their faith and they've been sanctified. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about our God is not going to pull the trigger on any punishment. He loves you too much. He is he is this this Father that cannot punish you. Well, and and it kind of affects, like, now that, that's just from, like, a, a Christian perspective. It kind of influences how you think about the unsaved. If there's nothing to worry about, then right. why evangelize? So, yeah, that's, that's I just wrote a, um, a Substack article in conjunction with some other guys and uh, who've left my old annual conference in Oklahoma. Uh, I, I don't remember the name of the series, <laughs> but um, if you follow, it's like Arrow. Is that yeah, that sounds right. Um, but they asked me to, you know, they're trying to reclaim some of the doctrines we left behind, and I wrote on hell, and I I made the case for an eternal, conscious, painful hell, and why that matters is because we don't want that for other. God doesn't even want that for other people. Charles Wesley had a great hymn that he wrote. Sinner, turn, why will you die? You know, the notion is that that we are in some sense choosing 
our damnation. If you've read Revelation, you know there are multiple times where people get to, they're actively being punished for their sin, and rather than repent, they shake their fist at God and they they hate Him all the more. And, and those people are rightly judged uh, as evil and they're condemned in hell for eternity. If you don't believe in that, then there's this indifference that comes to people living and dying outside of a covenant with God because it doesn't matter if they, they walk rightly with God. They're going to make it anyway. But if you believe that not only will they not be with God for eternity, but they will actively suffer, then that is what gives us the evangelistic zeal to reach all people in the name of Christ, because if we don't, if God is sure to his word, then there will be a punishment. And to play chicken with God, to call his bluff, is just so stupid. I don't know why people... I mean, what what this says to me, when guys like this smugly talk about, oh, there is no Satan, there's no punishment, I just, I, I hear them saying they don't even believe in the God of the Bible. Well, yeah, he would probably say he doesn't yeah, believe I, in the God of the Bible. I don't know how you can read the Bible and, and just discount those things. They just, I, whatever. That's uh, That website is readarrows.com. Um, it's, a I guess, a mailing list. list. Um, I'll throw it in the notes. Well, your, your article on hell. Okay, yeah. I don't know if it's actually out yet. Um, I don't think he has published it. I think I would have gotten a couple angry emails before now. Well, yeah, probably. But you you can sign up for the mailing list for it um, if they want to. So I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. All right. Um, Let's go on to the next clip. Yeah, so you can probably play both of these at the same time. Uh, Well, not at the same time, but in succession. uh, Because they're both Adam Hamilton, um, Church of the Resurrection, Kansas City. Um, And they're both kind of on the same topic. Once, Once his Vespers talk and the other one is the official um united methodist produced position on hell video kind of kind of thing so we'll we'll get into those all right so adam hamilton is the pastor at the biggest united methodist church in the united states last i checked uh could it could be smaller now but um yeah he when he speaks people listen yeah. And I have, you know, I know a number of people who've said, you this know, is I, his backyard like, I don't want to believe in hell, or I don't believe that a God of love and mercy would, you know, would send people to hell. And again, I would say hell to me is a, is the working out of God's mercy. It's, you know, it's not God's desire to punish people. It's, just, it's a desire to let, God, let people have what they said they wanted and what they thought they wanted. And I love this idea. And I think it was C.S. Lewis's. There are many others, uh, many other Christians who have talked about this over this, you know, over the history of Christianity. But this idea that, you know, what if hell itself is a place that's meant to work out redemption? That, that basically the idea is that when people finally come to their senses, sort of like the prodigal son who ends up in a place where, you know, he's starving and he's, you know, he, he longs to even eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And, and he finally, Jesus says, comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, so I'm just going to say, what, what, if, what if that parable... Uh, the parable of the prodigal son, what if that was a picture of hell? What if in God's mercy, God is the father in that story, and there's one son who stays with God, and, or you know, with the father, and, and takes care of his dad, and is committed to his father, and the other son says, I want to do my own thing, I want to find, you know, I want, to ha- I want my half of the inheritance, and I want to go do my own thing. And in the midst of that, ends up uh, squandering everything he has on wild living, and it's all about him. And it's not about being responsible for his dad. If you ask for your inheritance before your father is dead, You've taken away the means to take care of him, and it's you know it, it's there until he dies, and so you know afterwards you get it. But no, in this case, I want it for myself now. I mean, it's a ludicrous request, but the son, it's all about him, and so he he goes off to a far off country. 
You get the idea of it. I'm so glad. <laughs> I was it keeps I was done forever, with so, that for yeah. a bit. Okay. So, uh should we go on to the next one, or do you do you want to camp out on that? Do you have anything to say on that? Well, I just I, let's, let's let's camp out on that. I'm familiar with other people who read the Prodigal Son at the exclusion of other stories. Yeah. You know that 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 is the portrait of the God that they want to serve, and of course that God is is quite merciful. His son shows up, father runs to him, throws his arms around. But the the difference between that and say the story of Lazarus and the rich man, is one takes place on this side and one takes place on the other. Because remember, mm-hmm. Jesus himself tells a story about a guy, Lazarus, poor, uh, sick, lives outside the gates of a rich man who doesn't help him. Both of them die. Lazarus is in the Buddhism of Abraham in a great place. The rich man is already being tormented for eternity. Um and then the rich man sees the byproduct of the consequences of his his living uh, uncompassionately towards the poor and selfishly towards himself, and he asks for just some respite. And no, there's no respite. He asks for Lazarus to go warn his family, and man, the answer is so good and so pertinent here. If they won't believe the prophets in the scriptures, then they won't even believe somebody coming back from the dead. You're, if you don't believe what's there... This is what's waiting for you. You can read any other happy stories in the Bible. They don't cancel out the warning. And so that's I, I think that's what Hamilton's doing here. He's canceling out the warning with a story about God being God is merciful. He is so forgiving. He's so gracious. He's forgiven me despite my unworthiness. Even so, to imagine that there's forgiveness without repentance and covenant obedience is just unbiblical, and you're leading people to hell when you're preaching that doctrine. Well, he kind of gets into the purgatory kind of-esque thing as well, like the other guy did. Um, he said... Uh, oh, yeah, hell is the working out of our salvation in some sense. Right, yeah, it's this weird um, adoption of this, I would say, non-biblical thing. Like, there's, we're not going to get into that, but... You're, you're introducing extra-biblical thought. There's nowhere in the Bible that provides hope for once you're in the bad place, you can get out and go to the good place. There right. is nothing there that even hints at that. So you're introducing an extra-biblical belief, but you're also... I mean, what is the practical impact of this? It saps people of their evangelistic drive to save other people because ultimately, in the end, all people will be saved. So no big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> even if they do, they can get out. Like, it's... Yeah. Catch and release. Yeah. The uh, the next video um, is also Adam Hamilton. Um, it's this one. Oh, and this is an official one. United yeah, Methodist. What we on, believe on their why. official YouTube page. Here we go. Um, so, on uh, the denomination's official page. Okay. Your portion of dollars at work. So people ask me, do you believe in hell? And the truth is, I don't want to believe in hell. I don't like the idea of it. But as I think about hell, logically, it seems like it has to be there. Uh, And here's what I mean. Jesus said that we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I think about that, I think that means that heaven would be a place where God's will is done, where we love perfectly, we love God, we love our neighbor, where justice is done, where we live selflessly and we live as servants and we, we find the joy of that. I think if that's what heaven is, then it must be 
uh, true that there has to be a place for people who don't want to live that way. But God doesn't force us to experience heaven. God doesn't force us to do His will. He allows us. And so everyone is invited, but we still have the choice. I'm not interested in doing God's will. I don't want to be in a place where I have to do God's will. And so to me, that seems there's a uh, natural and logical corollary that there must be a place for those who don't want to do God's will. And when I think about Dante's Inferno and, this, and these various levels of hell, you know, he was painting and the uh, idea of people gnawing on each other or eating each other, you know, just, just constantly trying to get something from somebody else and, and satisfy their own needs, a place of deep hunger and yet no fulfillment. And that's what I think of hell as. And I don't think God intends anyone to go there. I think God's intention is that everyone come to the party, but that he won't force us to come to his party. And I love how C.S. Lewis uh, describes it. He says, hell is a place where the doors are locked from the inside, with the idea that we could always escape if we chose to, but there are people who will never choose the life that God offers us in heaven, but instead will, will choose a life still absorbed in self. Want to learn more about United Methodist beliefs? Visit umc.org slash beliefs. I'm not as scandalized by that one. What did you pick on? With no, that? Um, there's the C.S. Lewis. Uh, yeah, same C.S. Lewis quote. Yeah, um, which I guarantee you, C.S. Lewis did not believe what Adam Hamilton does about hell and it just being uh, a place that you can get out um, at some point because um, he brings that up again. Mm -hmm. um, stop quoting Dante like it's theology. That's just annoying to me. I don't. It's, it's interesting, sure, sure, but it's not like it's not real. <laughs> it's 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 not the Bible. Stop it. It's not the Bible, but it is uh, a popular imagining of what the biblical implications of righteous judgment Sure, but are. I'm not going to quote Narnia to uh, when I could quote the Bible. Like, it's just... <laughs> so, okay, well, in order... I don't know. So when you look at Revelation, what becomes clear... Okay, so one of the dividing lines here is between Reformed and Arminian theology. Reformed theology dictates that God has already selected people to be damned because that, in some sense, is what his righteousness, his, his, his godliness requires. Arminianism typically teaches that, no, actually, God doesn't require that anyone should uh, die, but that all can be saved, that Christ's blood is enough to atone for all of our sins, and that there is no reason why all of us cannot be saved unless we choose damnation. And so that, you know, that, that goes in its ugly directions, where... Uh, Arminians say, well, I just made better choices than you, so go to hell. Um, whereas Reformed people would just say, I don't know why God wanted you there, but you're there. You're not any worse than me, but I'm here and you're there. You know, So both, uh, both positions seem kind of hard to maintain in a, a strict sense. But for Adam Hamilton, he says he does believe in a hell. It's for people who reject God and don't want to be in faithful submission to uh, well, he says, I imagine hell. He, I think he still kind of hedges in his language that, like, it might not be a literal place. Yeah. But um, if it is, you know, um, it, it, it operates in this way, in which case, you know, like, he's still not getting into... Well, he does adopt the Dante imagery of, of people gnawing on each other and never being filled. I mean, that's pretty hellish, you know? So, I don't know. I, I kind of admire him for... I mean, I'm sure that that didn't fit with this sensibility. Or maybe that... He, he has this way of couching things or uh, presenting things where it sounds reasonable and it seems pretty faithful. I don't think I imagine that, that Adam and Hamilton and I agree on much, but he definitely casts the picture there that he believes in a hell. It's a place of suffering. Uh, 
it does have locked doors. <laughs> I don't. Well, he does in this video that's a officially United Methodist, yeah. so he kind right. of has to to toe the line a little bit. Yeah. So what is officially doctrine? Yes. Um, whereas in the Vespers clip, um, he's more open and he's not constrained by yeah. this, this. The smug guy. The smug guy is the one who really makes the case. You know, the reason we do these segments isn't just like look at this this fringe guy over here. Um, you know, the, in the in the current. No, this is very pervasive throughout the United Methodist Church. This yeah. is just, these are just a few of a lot of uh, of pastors that are like this. And especially if your pastor is seminary trained, like you, you're openly mocked if you believe in any kind of literal judgment. Bod- you know, even bodily resurrection for good is kind of scoffed at in a lot of circles. So, you know, uh, at, at, you just have to contend with... I mean, if you disagree that this is pervasive throughout the United Methodist Church, we would just encourage you to look around some more. But um, I, I, my hope is, as we have talked about this topic, as we talk about other topics in the future, that you're not taken aback by, oh my, how could they say that? But to understand why they say that, to understand what the response is to it, I think, I think the main thing to focus on is if you believe what liberals believe about hell— there is no evangelistic impulse. There is no, uh, you have to come and do this, otherwise you are lost, you're damned forever. Nothing's really on the line. It's just, you know, hey, it would be better if you came along, but really you're still going to be okay if you don't. And what you're finding now, everywhere that liberalism goes, people in society cling to that message, and then they don't find the church necessary or relevant. They're thankful for the nice things that the church does, they don't really have to be a part of it. So, you know, I we would like to imagine that humans are so noble that we don't have to be scared into doing what we should be doing, that love is a good motivator. I, I think all of human history is an excellent argument for the fact that humans need fear as a motivator. And that's not to say it's not real. It is real. Things Bad things will really happen to you if you don't live your life the right way. God has said so. It's been reported through the years by people who love you the most in the line of Christ. We're warning you. Take it seriously. Put that at the forefront of your thought. Yes, God loves you, and there's a lot of carrot to motivate you forward, but there's also those pricks in the back. Remember, uh, Jesus says it's it's hard to kick against the pricks, Paul, and uh, uh, God uses both fear and love to motivate us in the right direction. It begins with fear, and heads towards love, but if you haven't ever felt fear, you're not you're not in Christ. You're you're not following on the path. Uh, the fear of the Lord is beginning a wisdom. Uh, Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Then grace, my fear is relieved. Sure, that comes after the fear. The fear absolutely has to be uh, uh, there because the stakes are real. Anything else to be said no, before we wrap it up? It. Okay. Well, we thank you for joining us. We'll put some more clips together and and try and talk through helpful and relevant topics um, in the future. As we're going to different denominational bodies, including and especially the Global Methodist Church, let's make sure that we uh, claim and hold fast those historic doctrines that inform an authentic Christian faith. Um, We've had a a long, prolonged time of, of jettisoning some of those doctrines that are not Uh, readily, culturally acceptable, and I think we need to do the opposite and really lean into them at this point. So I hope this has been a blessing to you talking about hell, and um, we'll see you next time.